0: and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at the OncoPT.com framework. Again, that's the OncoPT.com framework. Welcome to the OncoPT podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent OncoPT. Here's your host, Elise Contu. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. This month on the OncoPT Podcast, we've been going over what is multiple myeloma, how is it treated, but we really haven't addressed the underlying question that I know a lot of you have, how to treat patients with multiple myeloma, and this is exactly what we're doing in today's episode. Now, it's going to look a little different. Here's how we're doing this. I am taking two patient cases that I have actually treated before and breaking down what I did, why I did it, and then kind of what I wish I had done differently. Now, looking back on it and having a couple more years under my belt. While each cancer is treated very differently, few diagnoses are treated as differently as multiple myeloma is. As we discussed in episodes 202 and 203, multiple myeloma may be approached with observation, clinical trials, chemotherapy, and or other agents, as well as hematopoietic stem cell transplants, also known as bone marrow transplants, BMT. Now, how multiple myeloma is treated can significantly impact what and how we as the OncoPT treat these patients. And in today's episode, I'm presenting two patients with multiple myeloma that I am actually have treated. Neither is perfect. In fact, you may have some strong opinions that I welcome hearing. This discussion really promotes an opportunity for us to justify what we're doing, understand why we're doing it, and then ultimately improve our patient care. So in my two patient cases, I'm going to be talking about Peter and Margie i'll let you know i have obviously changed the names and a couple details to make sure that they remain of course anonymous but the general information the the content of each case has definitely remained intact so you can really understand what was the situation what were the circumstances and then what did i do as the physical therapist to help these patients so first up we have peter Peter was a 60 year old male who presented to the emergency room with unrelenting back pain after he injured his back playing tennis. So, what happened in this case again, all real circumstances here. Peter was a recently retired individual who was finally getting to do all of the things that he wanted to do in retirement. So he was playing tennis daily. Um, That was one of his most favorite things to do. And so he was actually playing with a couple friends one day when he lunged for a ball, as one does in tennis, and he heard a pop in his back. And it began hurting. He didn't really think much of it at first, but that pain didn't go away. In fact, it grew and grew and grew, and over the next few days, he decided that he could not stand it anymore, and so he and his spouse ended up going to the emergency room to try to figure out what was going on. So in the emergency room, they did different imaging, they did different lab tests, and the imaging revealed that he had punched out lesions in his lumbar spine, and the blood work eventually confirmed his multiple myeloma diagnosis. Now, in this imaging, when we're talking about these punched out lesions, this is very classic multiple myeloma. When we're looking at different imaging, those bony lesions, that cancer invading the bone causing the pathological fracture that he sustained, unfortunately, while playing tennis is exactly what that looks like. It's, it's. I mean, I don't have a better phrase for it. It's just punched out lesions is what you very, very commonly see in the literature when we're talking about When we're talking about multiple myeloma and, of course, those bony lesions. So while he was in the hospital, so he was, again, went to the ER and then was diagnosed, admitted to the hospital, and there he remained for a little while. And while to you and me, the number of days that he spent in the hospital wasn't A whole lot. I mean, he wasn't there for like months and months and months. Again, this is speaking from an outpatient perspective here. He became so deconditioned in that time period. So again, thinking back to, he had a lot of pain. It was very challenging to manage, especially in those first few weeks after his diagnosis. And then he was obviously kind of undergoing this evaluation to see, okay, you know, we need to treat your multiple myeloma. What are we going to be doing from here until he could get medically stabilized enough to where he could actually be sent home? So he was sent home after he was consulted with the orthopedic oncologic surgeon, um, whoever that was, and they put him in a TLSO orthotic that he was to remain in basically every hour that he was awake and upright. So if he wasn't in bed, he needed to have that on. And so what this meant for him is he spent a lot of time in bed, Multiple reasons. Again, painful. Um, You know, we also have to consider the psychological components of this. He experienced a ton of depression, unfortunately, especially after this diagnosis. That was not something that his spouse noted that he really had previously previously. So lots of time in bed, very painful to move around, and so he wasn't moving around. And so even during this time, he's still becoming more and more deconditioned. I mean, this guy went from being a really, really active individual, very fit. Um, I think his partner even made the comment that he previously had like a little bit of abs going on. Um, And in a matter of weeks, I mean, it just completely reversed. He had... Gained weight. He had lost muscle. He had lost those abs um, that we were talking about. And again, while this sounds very minute, maybe to us, this was something that was, they noticed. And, you know, someone who prided themselves in being really active individual who took care of their body and was able to do the things, finally enjoy the time of retirement he had been looking forward to so long. It really crashed down around him. So again, he's discharged home from the hospital, and he came to see me for physical therapy one week after he started a chemotherapy regimen of Revlimid, dexamethasone, and Bortezomib. So let's break it down. So this patient went to the cancer center where he met with his oncologist that came up with a treatment plan, and then he started his chemotherapy regimen. After this point is when he was referred to see me because of, I don't even remember what he was referred for at this time. It may have been like back pain and like slow walking or something. It was, it was something very generic. Okay. And so at the evaluation, he demonstrated significant hesitation and limitations with movement, largely due to the low back pain. I cannot emphasize enough, this low back pain was tremendously limiting for him. Again, going from a very active, independent individual in just a matter of like a month to basically. I won't say completely dependent, but very dependent, very significant changes there. So lots of hesitation with movement, very slow movement, um, transfers, you know, to and from like the chair were very difficult and painful. We actually didn't even get to do all of the evaluation because pain was so limiting for him. Um, I was going to test a couple things in supine and I eventually just cut those out of the evaluation because of how two things. Slow things were going because it was painful. Again, that pain really, really limited him here um, to the point that he actually told me later he considered canceling the evaluation because it was so hard for him. Um, and so, again, for this patient, one of the things that we had, we really have to consider here, and you may have to consider in your care of your patients, for him, because this pain was so significant, it impacted every aspect of his life. So, the idea of getting in the car, having his partner, his spouse, drive him to my facility, getting out of the car, and then walking into the building, the thought of that and the pain associated with that was enough for him to consider canceling our physical therapy appointment altogether. That's a lot. That's a lot that we don't think about um, as relatively young, healthy individuals working with these patients who are experiencing such tremendous pain. So again, this was something that I really hadn't considered previously. But again, once I started working with this patient, we really developed that rapport. He told me a lot of these things and it made a lot of sense as to why I think he had such a rapid decline in such a short period of time right after he was diagnosed. So again, back to the evaluation, very slow going. Um, I think we did like a tug. Uh, We did maybe a six-minute walk test. I don't even remember if we finished at all. um Again, because of that pain, we may have even done like a two-minute walk test in lieu of the full six-minute walk test because of all this. And so one of the things I also looked at for this patient, I was concerned about his skin integrity. So when he came in and he was sitting there in his TLSO, again, don't forget about that, he was very forward hunched and had a tendency to rest his chest on that front part of that TLSO. And so what this meant was his posture was terrible, and he also complained of not just the bone pain that he was experiencing, but also he had some some irritation on his back where that TLSO was. So what we did Again, we got to check that skin integrity. Checked underneath, so I I removed it to look at his skin, and he sure enough had some non-blanching redness on his lower back where his TLSO was rubbing. And this was even, he had a shirt on underneath that TLSO as instructed, and it was still causing that rubbing. So that was definitely a problem. So get him back into his TLSO. We make a plan. And what was really driving all of this? What was really the most important part for him that he was really maybe not at face value referred for PT, but one of the most important things that we were working towards with this patient was that he was scheduled to undergo a hematopoietic stem cell transplant in six months. So we had a timeline in which we needed to get him as physically ready for this procedure as possible. Now, if you had asked me two months prior if this patient would have been a good fit for a transplant, I would have said, yep, he's active, no problem. Like, you know, he he looked healthy for all intents and purposes. But fast forward those two months in the time from when he injured his back, went into the hospital, diagnosed, started treatment. I mean, he looked really bad. And again, this is a 60-year-old dude who was previously, quote, healthy. And so we kind of had an issue of, Again, as someone who had really not had a lot of experience working with patients undergoing a hematopoietic stem cell transplant, I didn't know if he was going to be ready. He looked really bad. Um, So here's what we did. We worked on a lot of education. We did therapeutic exercise at first. So one of the big things we really tackled at first was the whole process of doing a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. What it is what it kind of looks like to go through this process what are potential side effects and complications and then really the importance of preparing his body as as early as possible as best as possible for that transplant because again one of the things i identified very early on in this patient through our conversation is that he had a grandbaby on the way. It was their first grandchild. They were so, so excited to get to meet this baby. Um, and so one of the things that I really identified for him was so important is that he wanted to be around as long as possible to hang out with his his children and then eventual grandchildren. So with this, I really encouraged and educated him on how important it was to be physically ready for stem cell transplant, because that would ultimately translate to likely better outcomes, as in decreased mortality on the other side of things. Based on what I had read in other diagnoses, I figured it's probably very similar with multiple myeloma. And there's some research out now that definitely supports this. And so for him, again, it wasn't a like a threat or anything. It was very much a motivator for him. Not every patient is going to be motivated by that, but again, this was something I identified for him was going to really, really work. So again, lots of education on the whole process of transplant, and then really the importance of skin integrity regarding the TLSO. We also did some finagling, again, of course, with the permission and with the awareness of the orthopedic surgeon. We put different kind of like closed cell foam and open cell foam around the tlso in order to relieve some of that rubbing that he had and then when we worked on different therapeutic exercise we did a lot of strengthening for the upper extremity but a lot of periscapular strengthening again because that posture was so problematic a he's resting on that tlso which is not how it's supposed to work but again that that chronicity almost of him resting on there his posture muscles basically just went out the window So we had quite a bit of work to try and fix that. So again, first first couple months, like months one, months two, we were doing a lot of that. And progress was pretty slow, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. Realistically, this is how it was. Progress was really slow because of that pain. But the coolest thing was, once we really got him moving, his pain started kind of getting more under control. Now, this was probably a a number of reasons, right? I'm not some miracle PT. So, but I think reintroducing the movement back into this, as well as he's on chemotherapy during this time. Don't forget, remember he's on Revlimid, which is also lenalidomide, dexamethasone, and bertezimib. His disease was likely responding to these drugs, which was also helping with the pain he was experiencing. So again, lots of things going on here, not just me, but really those things working together really helped us get that pain under control in a really cool way to where he was able to feel more comfortable moving, um, sometimes a little too comfortable moving. We definitely had episodes where he would overdo it, and then we would kind of have to take a couple steps back. For example, vacuuming one day, he went like ham on vacuuming the house. And um, well, we paid for it the next day, actually the next few days, unfortunately. So, you know, we live and we learn. These are things we have to navigate with our patients. But once we got into that month two, this is when we were cleared to begin standing balance exercises. So again, I'm in very frequent communication with the oncologist, the orthopedic surgeon, to make sure that we're okay to do these things. We were cleared, we started doing standing balance exercises. Again, very slow at first because of how deconditioned he was, how problematic his balance was. I mean, it was it was wild how fast everything just like slid backwards after his diagnosis, and then how long it took us to get back up to that point where it was like, okay, you are not a fall risk. (laughs) So we continued with our upper extremity resistance training, and we shifted our, our format with this to the Tabata format in order to target a little more of the aerobic conditioning. At this time, he wasn't actually cleared to do any kind of like walking except for from point A to point B. Like there was no walking for exercise And so he needed some way of challenging his cardiovascular system in order to try and build up some endurance, again, in preparation for that eventual transplant. One of the things that was also interesting about this patient is that, and he always claimed it was from the steroids. I don't know for certain, right? But he had steroid treatment on certain days, and it was usually an hour or so after this treatment, which was also conveniently when he came to physical therapy, he would kind of get a little loopy. And I know this isn't a medical term, but it's almost like he would get a little giddy in a way. Um, normally he was extremely mild mannered. He was a super chill, calm individual, but you could see in the session as his medication started to kick in, he would get very animated. Um, one of the things like he would accidentally curse, which personally does not bother me, but it was something that like really embarrassed him because that's not normally like what he does, but it's kind of like his filter got shut off. Anyways, that was interesting. And so sometimes therapy required quite a bit of, um, redirection to make sure that he was on task, because otherwise we could just sit and chat for an hour. And that is clearly not skilled therapy, (laughs) um, at least for this particular patient. So again, that's kind of how month two progressed. A little later in month two, he was finally cleared to begin leisurely walking. So we're starting to incorporate a little more of that. And then this is how we continued until month four. So at month four, again, we have really improved a lot of strength Balance, endurance, we're definitely building on all of these things, but we kind of hit a plateau. It was like we kind of hit a ceiling because he was still on certain restrictions for activity from his surgeon, and he was still in that TLSO. So there were some limitations as far as like how much further we could do. And we knew that at some point he was going to be discharged out of his TLSO. Like that was going to be discontinued. We knew this. This was something we were in very frequent contact with the surgeon about. And so we reached that ceiling. And after we really couldn't break through, what we did in order to conserve his therapy visits is actually discharged him with a home exercise program and with the instructions, come back when you are cleared for like this next phase of activity. So in month five, the patient was all cleared. So the prior activity restrictions and then the TLSO were discontinued. So at this point, we very gradually began incorporating core stabilization exercises in neutral spine again he has the pathological fracture in his lumbar spine we are being extremely cautious about this and then in month 6 he was discharged to undergo his hematopoietic stem cell transplant so there is a happy ending to the story as far as i know um i haven't followed up with this patient for a few years so i'm not really sure how, you know like what's going on now but he went through his transplant he came back um and he looked so good he's been he was doing really well at the time you know for as far as i know at, you know at the time he was considered disease free which was so cool and so he entered that remission period um for the multiple myeloma so couple notes on this patient again this is probably one of my favorite patient cases this is actually who i did uh my oncology case report on just like a super Just really like a stupendous patient to work with. It was a really, really cool experience. Um, But it wasn't perfect. We had different complications. Um, So, for example, in month two, this patient presented with redness and some warmth and tenderness in his calf. Now, hopefully you're already thinking of a particular oncologic emergency. And again, thankfully it was like, okay, this is a red flag. We need to get you referred back. And sure enough, the patient was diagnosed with a DVT. So he was put on Eliquis. He was put on a very temporary therapy hold until this point by the oncologist. And then at that point he came back. We kept working and we didn't have any additional complications with this, which is great. Um, One other thing, so in month Two, I went to a conference and had a substitute physical therapist come in. And one of the things that I do whenever I have a substitute physical therapist is I write very extensive notes on this is what we've been doing. This is what we are allowed to do. This is what we are not allowed to do because I you may pick up I'm extremely protective of my patients and maybe even overprotective of my patients. But honestly, like, don't F up the work that we've been doing. And this particular physical therapist who came in did not read my notes. And I know this because I talked with both my patient and the other person who was in the clinic at the time. Um, They were doing, because I also saw it in the documentation when I came back, This person is on spinal precautions, okay? Like, let's be clear. We're in month two. We have not been cleared for all this stuff. And this physical therapist had my patient doing different core exercises, not in neutral spine, like actively breaking spinal precautions. My patient was like, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. But the therapist was like, no, nah, no, nah, like, it's fine. You can keep doing this. And honestly, we're really lucky that this patient didn't have any issues because later in our care, he actually developed a an additional pathological fracture. Again, what that was from exactly, I don't know. But this patient was at significant risk of issues and this was really irresponsible and so like my lesson behind all this because I'm not going to go on my rant this is me on my soapbox right now read the handoff notes and then actually pay attention to them because this physical therapist unfortunately was really known to be on their computer all the time and not really pay attention and would just like use patient care time to actually do admin tasks instead of actually paying attention and working with patients So my patient was scheduled to work with them two more times while I was out at this conference and actually canceled them because he said, I'm not coming back and working with that therapist. So I heard all about it when I got back. Again, the lesson here is pay attention to what you should be paying attention to. Like, this is why I'm such a big proponent of OncoPT being single booked because there's so much that we have to pay attention to. These patients are very medically dynamic a lot of times. Like, again, just don't F up the work that we've been doing so far. My God. So anyways, that is kind of my little synopsis on my patient number one with multiple myeloma. His name is Peter. Now we're going to contrast Peter's case with my other patient, Margie. And Margie's case is very different. She had a very different disease process. And so it made our treatment... It's going to look a little different and that's that's okay so margie was a seventy eight year old female who was diagnosed with multiple myeloma a few years prior and her disease was very stable so one of the things we talked about previously on the oncoPT podcast is patients with you know aggressive very rapidly growing multiple myeloma they'll they will undergo treatment but for patients who are more stable or who maybe have a much more gradually uh, progressing disease, they may not undergo treatment right then and there. And so for Margie, she was basically undergoing observation and she might have been on some kind of like oral agent of sorts, some kind of oral cancer treatment, but I honestly cannot remember. Um, she might've even been on a break from that when I saw her. So anyway, she's referred to PT, and a lot of the things she was experiencing were honestly caused by her older age. She did have a very stable lumbar spine pathological fracture. She was not wearing a brace. Um, she was not prescribed a brace, so it's not like she just wasn't wearing it. So we, you know, abided by our spinal precautions. And for the most part, that was really not an issue for her. She tended to live her life um, in this very like neutral spine position. Again, I think because she was a little older, had a little more mobility um, limitations, etc. And so that wasn't as much of an issue for us. So again, a lot of her impairments that she presented to physical therapy with were caused by her older age. She was a bit deconditioned. I think this was largely due though to her more sedentary lifestyle, as well as some limitations from back pain. So again, she did have some back pain, not as limiting as my patient Peter, but still like something to consider. And so what we worked on is we really worked on education. You know, what are spinal precautions? Why are they so important? Why are we even doing them, especially in relation to that pathological fracture that she did have? Again, because she was older and she was a fall risk, balance was really, really important for us to work on. And so we did a lot of static and dynamic balance exercises to help improve her safety. One of the things that was really, really important to Margie. So she actually lived in a loft apartment in downtown Fort Worth, um, which honestly, like dream, um, would love to live Margie's life. (laughs) So she lived in this loft apartment in downtown Fort Worth. At 78, she was still a career woman. Like she was very much a leader in her field, Um, was doing a lot of work, um, lots of work with young people to try and, you know, get their careers launched. It was she was a really cool person, Um, really fun to work with. And so her independence was really really important to her. She had grown adult children. I think she might have even had some grown grandchildren. And of course, you know, they're all concerned about Margie, but it was so important to her that she was able to live on her own and be safe. So again, identifying what was really important to Margie and then actually acting on that was really key to making sure that we were working towards the same goals of safety. Again, for me to make sure that, I mean, God forbid she fall, but for her really maintaining that independent living as much as possible and and high quality independent living. We also incorporated different therapeutic exercise. So lots of upper extremity and lower extremity strengthening exercises with dumbbells and resistance bands, again, starting light and then progressing as tolerated. And By the end of our episode of care, she was comfortable enough doing her exercises on her own. She had actually started going down to the, um, I guess like the exercise or the fitness room in her apartment building and was working out a few times a week. She was incorporating a little more walking into her day, um, And for her, what that walking looked like, again, because Texas is so stupid hot, she would walk a bit more, like she would try to incorporate more walking into her routines. So she would walk her garbage to the garbage disposal. She would sometimes like take a couple flights of stairs, instead of always doing the elevator, for example. And she wasn't doing any like treadmill training, you know, at the gym, which is fine. But she was getting to where she was able to identify and then actually executing different methods of incorporating more physical activity into her day, again, because we were really able to connect how important it was for her to be safe in order for her to keep living by herself, even with this very chronic condition of multiple myeloma. So as you can see here, as you can see from these two patients, treating the person who has multiple myeloma can look very Very different depending on their disease status, depending on the treatment. But even in the face of a very aggressive, potentially aggressive diagnosis, such as multiple myeloma, even when we know this disease can definitely come with an increased risk of pathologic fractures, for example, bony integrity issues, these patients are still extremely appropriate for rehab. And there's a lot that we can do with them to help with their impairments and to help with quality of life and independence as appropriate. So with all this in mind, I don't want you to shy away from treating patients with multiple myeloma. Honestly, they're kind of one of my favorite populations to work with. Um, I think because I've had such amazing patients who have really challenged me to think outside the box in how I can help them, even in the face of this very... Unfortunate diagnosis. You know, we do know, unfortunately, because we've talked about it previously on the OncoPT podcast, there's no cure for multiple myeloma. Our hope is to try and delay progression as much as possible and to put patients into a disease-free state, a state of remission as much as possible, as long as possible. And even in the face of this diagnosis, there's so, so much that we can do to help these patients. And you can do it too. I firmly believe that. So now I want to hear from you. What did I miss? What would you have included in your treatment of these patients? Maybe in addition to what I did, or maybe in place of some of the things that I did. One of the coolest things about cancer rehab is there's so much room for creativity. As long as we're working towards our goals, and most importantly, our patients' goals. So message me on Instagram at the OncoPT and let me know, what are your thoughts on these patient cases? Until next time, this is Elise with the OncoPT. And remember, you are exactly the physical therapist that your patients with cancer need. So let's get to work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the OnCo PT podcast. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, leave a rating and review, or support us on Patreon.